Welcome. This is Dr. Owen Anderson, and we're in Religion in America, studying the Declaration of Independence. And I have a book titled The Declaration of Independence and God. So we're going to be relying on some ideas from that book. It's available wherever good books are sold. Now, I'm going to toggle between the notes and the actual Declaration of Independence. So first, we'll switch to that. And we're going to be looking especially at the first few sentences, because those are the ones that are especially relevant for religion in America. This is not a political science class. It's not about if the revolution was justified or not, or the structure of the government that the Americans eventually set up. It's about religious ideas. So let's look at this. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature. So here we're getting into some ideas that we'll be talking about. And nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. So now I'll go back our notes. So right away we're told the laws of nature and nature's God. What do these mean? Today, the way we use laws of nature mostly means what you learn about a physics class. You think they're speaking about gravity? Uh, because gravity and the centripetal force require us, <laughs> very adamant, no. Uh, because the strong and weak nuclear forces exist, it's not speaking about that at all. This is the idea that from nature, from the nature of things, we can know what is good and how to achieve the good. From the nature of things, we can know what is good and how to achieve the good. The good what is good for a being depends on the nature of that being. So I'm having to give you some background because all of the work in America, you know, probably have a lack of familiarity with these terms. So what is good for you depends on what you are. So what's good for a horse is not the same as what's good for a car. You don't change your horse's oil every three to 6,000 miles. You don't push oats into your car's fuel tank. Right? These things are obvious, but that's why they're used as illustrations to make a point. If you want to benefit something to help it, you have to know what it is. So if I say I was going to hire you to make the thing I have in here, it's something hidden from the students, better. But if you fail to make it better, you'll go to jail. Well, that'd be a terrible offer. I have to know what it is first before I can know if I can make it better or not. So that's what the word nature refers to. Not That doesn't mean forest and trees 
and I'm going camping out in nature. And there's laws of nature, like, like uh, remember there was a show where the monkey was sacrificing a baby lion to the other animals. They were all down there, and he goes up on a cliff, and he's going to chuck it over the cliff to them, and they're going to devour it. Right? And there's like this, this cycle where the lion eats the gazelle, then the lion dies and rots and grows, turns into soil, which becomes grass, and now the gazelle eats the lion. And see, that's the laws of nature. That's not what it's referring to. It's not talking about uh, water always finds the easiest path downward. It's talking about the nature of things. What is the nature of things? And then from there we can get nature's God. God as creator is determiner of the nature of things, and therefore, determiner of good and evil for that being. Let's just leave it general. Any being that God created, by giving it a nature, God has given it a, 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 a rules of what's good and evil for it. So the thing... The thing created, whether it's a horse or a human, cannot determine what is good and evil, but can discover it. You see a difference between determine and discover? You are born into this world. I think one of your favorite poets said, into this world you're thrown, to this house you're born. And you didn't create yourself. Oftentimes, teenagers will remind their parents about this. I didn't ask to be born. And here I am. What am I? I have to figure that out. But I don't determine it myself. That's been determined by my creator. And so then to act contrary to one's nature, as determined by God the creator, is to bring harm on oneself. And they're hinting at that in this first sentence. When we break the bonds, we're required to explain it was justifiable. Because if it wasn't justifiable, the implication is, if it wasn't justifiable, we'd be bringing harm on ourselves. Doesn't say that, but I'm hoping you can begin thinking about the concepts that they're using. We'd be doing something wrong. Now, notice then, nature's God doesn't mean, it means the creator of all things. It doesn't mean a God of nature. Is Zeus or Jupiter or Baal or Indra the God of nature? Those are all the same lightning or sky god well no they're part of nature and they have a rule over a very relatively speaking small part of nature you saw the norwegian fellow thor in the movies get defeated for a time he, he might come back eventually but he has to have the whole team he can't beat 
Thanos' death by himself. He's not strong enough. So it's a, it, those are polytheistic movies. There are the gods, and then there's half humans, half gods, like Iron Man, and they all have to work together to beat the bad guy. And the bad guy is always death in these stories, whether it's Egyptian or Babylonian or Greek. So you're, you're just paying big bucks. It's, it's a little bit ironic because the, the people will say, oh, those ancients were so benighted. Hey, where can I spend money on Marvel? So nature's God does not mean a God of nature. Like they're thinking, oh, there's a God of the, the Potomac. And we have to please the God of the Potomac or we won't have good tides. No, this is the God of all things that create everything. So you see a continuation from Christian theism. There's a debate raging in some academic circles. Were the founding fathers Christians? Now, the option isn't were they Christians or atheists? Were they Christians or polytheists? The option is were they Christians or deists? Either way, they both agree to this. So for our purposes, it's not yet interesting debate. It becomes interesting when we think about, we're going to talk about next time, Thomas Paine and Thomas Jefferson as deists. So for our purposes here, it does not very influential of an issue. So nature's God. Well, why should, so... Their whole argument, they tell you up front, and I appreciate this when people are just clear in their writing. I think it's a very well-written document. One of the top documents of human history. So wherever you're from, I would recommend knowing this, just like you might know other great documents. You might know uh, the Magna Carta, even though you're not British. Yeah, I, I don't know. Would I rank this higher than that? I mean... I'm not arguing from influence. That's not my point. Something could be really crummy, communist manifesto, and influential. I'm talking from magnificence of ideas expressed. Excellence. And here you have it excellently expressed and organized and bringing about the founding of a country. Has there ever been a country founded like this? The other competitors were founded by their various people groups. They might say something like, yeah, but I'm the son of the god of war, right? The Romans. And so it's founded by some twins who are the babies of the god of war. But again, that's a god of nature. And I hope you see the categorical difference between the god of nature and, the na and nature's god the one who made all things and one who's in the things made with some power and is usually very uh, immoral. So people groups usually are the basis for a nation. And that often comes back to linguistic groups. But here we have a founding on ideas about the nature of things. And it is uh, correct 
if those ideas are correct and will be successful as long as those ideas are held in common. So they give the world, this is written to the world, and they give the whole world their argument. Somebody say, well, it's written to Parliament or King George III. It's about them, and they're submitting their argument to them to be judged by the whole world. Everyone can look at this and decide for themselves. Were we right or not? And what I like about it is they're straightforward. Here's what you should assess if we're right or not. And so, therefore, the Communist Manifesto would say, no, you're fundamentally wrong. There is no God, and there are no laws of nature. There are only laws of economics. And so you expect those two to be in conflict. And that conflict can manifest itself in various ways between nations. But one of the best ways to win that kind of conflict is by infiltrating the other side within the nation. So you had that debate within the nation about communism and if there is a law of nature and nature's God. If at some point, the people who occupy this geographical region no longer hold this in common, well, then they wouldn't have any reason to continue to live together. They might live together for a while for practical purposes, like a married couple who doesn't want to get divorced until the kids are out of the house, but they essentially sleep in separate rooms. They're already just roommates. So you could have that stage go on for a while. It's going to be really hard to separate. But that's only practical purposes. You no longer have any ideas that hold you together. And those are, when you study the end phases of civilization, that's the end phase. You're no longer inspired by your original ideas. You no longer hold them as valuable. You may not even have known there were original ideas, and that's because you didn't hold them as valuable. What do you think is valuable? You'll seek out. I bet you could you could tell me memorized word for word the rules of Halo, because all the kids love Halo these days. Or the first hundred Pokemon, you know all of them by heart, but you won't be able to re remember and repeat by memory the Declaration of Independence. Might not even know there was one. Now it's by Arizona law that the, yeah, the constitution is in every room. And I've often thought they should add to that that also the declaration should be in every room. And I think that makes sense. If you're receiving state money, then you need to know what the state says. So that's a way of being upfront and honest about what the state thinks. So you maybe should add declaration and state of the uh, constitution of Arizona, since that's where we derive our money. So do we hold these ideas in common anymore? Now reflect back on a previous lecture. And if you're on YouTube, you can scroll back and see this on the root causes of conflict. And so what I'm describing to you is the American version of that same conflict about ideas. Are these true? Now, let's keep going. I'm going to toggle back to the declaration. Now comes the part that is well known, you maybe would, as I, as I read it, you might start to remember it, and is, I think, the pinnacle of the whole thing. We're built up to it, now we get the pinnacle. How do we know 
there is a God of nature. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So this sentence, a whole book could be written about just this sentence. Oh, I did. I don't get into these arguments in that book. I am talking about the depth of this one sentence. There's enough there to reflect on. That's why part of the excellence of a document is how much do they, are they able to express in one simple sentence summarizing a great philosophy. So we go through it part by part. This sentence gives us the th answers to the three questions that we ask in philosophy. How do I know what is real and what is good? So, this sentence answers the three basic questions of philosophy. How do I know what is real and what is good? So, how do I know? It is self-evident that God, the creator, is real. So for the, our purpose, this, this is the how do I know part. That's the self-evident. Now, what could they mean by that? What is self-evident? Some things are self-evident. but most aren't. And many times when people say self-evident, they mean to me. So they mean, uh, this seems obvious to me so that we don't even need to discuss it. And yet, in most disagreements between humans, it's precisely on what the two think is obvious that they differ. And so you do have to back up and discuss that. I'm going to introduce you to this, this idea. Let's call this method. Say most human. I'll say most slash all, because I would probably think it's all, but I'll hedge my bet. In most or all human disagreements, it is exactly what the two sides think is self-evident that needs to be discussed. The 
This is called the presuppositional method. Back up and examine what we are each presupposing. So in this case, the God of nature. Now, a few possible meanings here. One is everyone in this debate agrees on this point. And it is fine to say that and move on in the debate. The reason is, you can't, in any discussion, debate everything all the way back to the first principles. So you hold some things as assumed for the debate. And that would be true at that time. Everyone in this debate agrees on these things. Another meaning might be, this is common sense. Now, common sense there means something specific. It's a, it's a philosophy coming out of the Scottish Enlightenment. There are certain common sense principles that we start with and don't need proof for. So morality is an example. You can't prove morality, this we would say. You begin with morality. And so they'd also say you just begin with God as the author of morality. You can't prove that to be the case. Or it could mean everyone has a sense of the divine called the sensus divinitatis. God in creating us made us so that we have this idea of him. And everyone has something like that, but it's been broken due to sin, the fall. And so you'll see everyone has it, but also that it's misdirected in their worshiping of trees or streams or clouds. They have the idea of divinity, but they're misdirecting it. Now, whichever one of those three you take, you are setting up, I'll call it the problem for US history, US religious history, not political or military or international. And this is beginning a new phase in the geographical region we're studying. It's not the same problem as the Puritans or the Native Americans were struggling with within their own systems or between each other. Now we're getting something new, the government of the United States and the challenges that government faces in the religious area are gonna be due to this, what turns out to be a shortcoming. Challenges are raised increasingly to the 
idea of God and the law of nature. So the next 200 years of what we study is essentially studying those challenges. For instance, uh, there is a God, but no need for redemption. That's the deists, which you counter first. There is a God, but he is distant, and laws of biology and economics are what matter. That's Darwinism. Darwin's not an atheist. But he thinks God's way back there. He sort of knocked over a first domino. And after that, amino acids mixed together in a tepid pool of water. And you had life from non-life. And then from there, you get us. Or there is no God at all. All is material. Or there is no God of nature. All is one. Or we can't know anything about this. What matters is securing your own happiness. I don't know. One through four, which one's true? Huh? Doesn't matter to me as long as I'm happy at the end of the day. I remember seeing a an op-ed where they were asking some some people their opinion about some state or city policy. I don't remember the policy. Doesn't matter for the point, which is they'd say to so and so, "What do you think?" And they'd say, "Oh, I think we should do it." Next person, "What do you think?" I don't think we should do that. Third person, "What do you think?" I don't care. I just want to know where my next beer is coming from. And that stood out to me that answer because it's a very honest answer. Right. Where's my next beer coming from? And that's that in one way, this is the stage we're at. You'll see people debating this stuff still, but by and large, I just want to know how to secure my own happiness in the sense of uh, pleasure. And that's an important degradation from happiness as not an inner state. Which is what you probably mean. Oh, I just got a, a, a pay raise. I have an inner feeling of happiness versus a condition of having what is good. Whatever your inner states are, it doesn't matter. You've achieved what is good. So now we just mean this one. Now, next question. What is real? God, the creator, and the creation. Humans who are equal because they were created by God. With the same nature. That's called human nature. 
So think about as these challenges come up, we're going to have perhaps what you're most familiar with in American history is debates about what it means to be equal. So if you were to name big events, you'd probably run right to the uh, debate about slavery and the Civil War. And that's really a question about this. And so these views all give different answers. And some of them can't uphold human equality. Evolution runs on us not being equal. If any species is just across the board and always equal, there'd be no evolution. Evolution occurs because there are inequalities and there's fighting and one wins and, and passes on its genes. So they're making an argument here about our equality. Now it might take equality for granted. And if you do that, then you have to make sure the things that get you to equality are secure. If you say we're all equal and we're all still evolving, that's a direct contradiction. Then we're not all equal. Some of us are superior to others and they'll fight it out. And the qualities they were given by nature will determine who's superior. So that debate goes on and that might be the one that's in the forefront of people's minds, but behind it is these beliefs about what is ultimate. In what sense are we equal? Well, not in terms of speed, some are faster than others. Not in terms of height, some are taller or shorter. Not in terms of bicep circumference, John Cena wins, The Rock, I guess they can use whatever it is, right? IQ is not equal, none of those things are equal. But that's not what's being claimed here. You've been given the same nature by God. Because of that, you're equal. You can't say the same thing if you just capitalize nature. Say you're given the same nature by nature. So then you have to figure out, well, what is this human nature that God gave to all? In theology, that's called the image of God. Philosophy, you say human nature. In what sense are all humans, despite their height, despite their hair length, despite their uh, bicep size, all of them are equal, despite their IQ. You'll become more human by having a higher IQ. Of all the people in the movie, Forrest Gump was the most human. Yet I'm, I, I think had, he had the lowest IQ of the people in the movie. So that's the next part, created equal. And people skip to that equal part and skip over it created. That's a very important word in front. You can't skip over it. You're created equal. And that's the basis then for the next question. How should we live? We have inalienable rights given by God, the creator to, among other things, not limiting it to only these life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. And this is a very important sentence. Uh, many people will go to this. They're usually called teenagers and they say, I have rights. Where did you get these rights from the constitution? 
Is that what it says? Where do you get your rights from? The government? If the government gave you rights, the government can take them away. And this is before the Constitution, so it can't be saying you get your rights from the U.S. Constitution, which hasn't been written yet. You get your rights because God the Creator. And those include things like life. What does that mean? Well, among other things, it means you have the right to self-defense. You have the right, indeed, you might even say you have the duty to defend yourself. And that doesn't just mean simply you're coming out of Target and, and a guy rushes at you with a knife to get your wallet. You block it, arm bar him, drops the knife, submit him and wait for the police to show up. Good thing you studied jujitsu. Uh, that's a limited view of self-defense. You should be defending yourself as a rational human being by learning what you need to learn. Are you actually living or not? You could be alive in the sense that your heart's beating and air goes in and out of your lungs, but you can have someone on a ventilator that does all that stuff. Wouldn't say that's living. Have you used your capacity as a human to actually have life? Or are you dead? Remember this little fellow who said he saw dead people? They do that all the time on The Walking Dead. Rick sees dead people. They're animated, they're moving, they're not vegetables planted in the ground, but they aren't alive. They're dead. They're walking dead. So you have a right to a human life, not an animal life. And that'd be interesting to contrast the idea of life in the Declaration and the idea of life in the Communist Manifesto, which is more like animal life. Food, sustenance, the government will guarantee those things. I got a collection of books because we have a great book reading group. And this is an idea that came out of the University of Chicago in the 40s and 50s. And I found a used bookstore, an old, the original set. And it included both the Declaration of Independence and the Communist Manifesto. So they thought in the 50s, in the United States, it's important for you to read both, to know what you're getting, and to know why there's a global conflict between them. And that'd still be good for you to know. What's the difference between them? So getting life, liberty. Liberty is not to be confused with license. The, the version of that is licentiousness. I have liberty to do whatever I want. Well, we recognize there's constraints to that. You can't run around just unloading your gun in public or something, right? So you don't, you can't, you don't have rights to anything you want. And liberty comes after life. You're at liberty as a human. If you're mostly behaving like an animal, what are the three things that occur to the animal brain when they observe something? Can I eat it? Can, I, can it eat me, then I'll run, or do I need to mate with it? Right? Essentially, that's the animal's day. And you could live that way as a human, too. 
Those are what's on your mind. But here it's calling you to a higher understanding of what it is to be a human. Knowing of your origin as made by God and a purpose given by God. Not limited to the animal realities of humanity. And so then third comes the pursuit of happiness. Not first. It's qualified by the first two. And again, at the time, happiness did not mean an inner feeling that I get when I get to sit down with one of those gallon things of ice cream. And inside my body, I feel happy sensations. That's what I mean today. It meant you're pursuing the state of being good in context of these two things. The Greek word is eudaimonia, a good condition or good state or good life. And that could be accompanied with all kinds of inner feelings. Sometimes they might be elated. Sometimes they might be down. But this state stays the same. You should pursue that state of being good. And since this question came third, it's in the context of the first two questions. The state of being good will require you know nature's God and the laws of nature. And if you didn't even know there were such things, or you had briefly heard of them and assigned them to the dustbin of myth, then you wouldn't be able to do these three things successfully. That goes back to saying, well, we don't agree about these ideas anymore, but we're going to continue to live together out of uh, pragmatic reasons. It'd be too hard to split up. That's why there's usually a high divorce rate around five to seven years, and then high divorce rate around 20 to 25 years, because they stick it out in the middle for the kids. But when either side, when they're actually left to have to live together, they're like, now, not doing this. I thought you knew how to empty dishwashers. And you don't know that. So I'm out of here. So life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. So you see how this sentence is structured, but how it also gives us the structure of this sentence. How it answers these questions, but that means it also sets up the challenges that will come next. And I listed those here about God. And we'll see each of those emerge. So we'll have challenges from, uh, we'll call it naturalism. There's just nature, capital N. Challenges from the materialists best known probably as the communists. And then uh, challenges from Eastern mysticism as people become more familiar with religions like Hinduism or Buddhism, which would say all is one. That's best symbolized perhaps by the Taoist yin yang symbol. If you're studying religions, you should know that those three aren't the same. Hinduism, Buddhism, and Taoism, but a lot of times uh, the Western person might say, oh yeah, Eastern religions, right? And to them, that'd be like saying, oh yeah, Western religions, Islam and Christianity, they're essentially the same. But nevertheless, the Taoist symbol 
is a picture of that oneness. All is one. Even light and dark are one. And what's dark has some light in it. And what's light has some dark in it. And what was your favorite popularization of that teaching? That you still rush home to see new episodes of. Rhymes with bar wars. Now that's just the popularization of that teaching. The Jedi turn out to be jerks sometimes. And the Sith can sometimes do good things. Light and dark swirl into each other. So we're going to be studying those challenges next from these areas. Is it true there's a nature's God? Now look what happens when it's, it's like a, a tapestry. Maybe that's on the wrong side. I'm not sure there's. It's more like a spider's web, which has certain core, core streams that are first, the spider first lays those. And then it lays the ones that go right here. And if you pop one of the circular ones, the whole thing's fine. If you knock out one of the core ones, it's very wobbly. Take out two, it probably just collapses. And that's what these basic beliefs are like, these three I mentioned. So you say, well, let's keep this stuff about what's good for us. I like those. That sounds great. Life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. I want to do that. But this stuff about God and nature's God, eh. Well, then you're taking out the core justification for how we get those rights. So where are you going to get the rights from? And it's noticeable that the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights, written after World War II, just starts in with rights. Humans have these rights, and they get multiplied as the decades go on. More and more rights. You can just invent rights. Where are we getting these rights from? Well, they can't answer that question because they want to appease both uh, Declaration of Independence and Communist Manifesto. We, we just all agree humans have rights. But then there's real debates about what these rights are. How many more can we add? How are they justified? Why should anyone care? So the Declaration doesn't make that mistake. It gives us the argument. And now we each have to contend with that argument. Is it a sound argument? If it's unsound, where? And how can it be made sound? So next, we're going to look at Thomas Paine and Thomas Jefferson, who are this one. So Thomas Jefferson has official capacities as a president, but he has also personal religious beliefs. And that's what we're looking at next.